Hey everyone, you're listening to the Tab Geeks podcast. My name is Jesse Nolan. I'm your host and the co-founder of Tab Geeks. My guest this week is uh, Stephanie Ihezuku. I hope I pronounced that right. She is an information security analyst for Norton Rose Fulbright. Steph, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I messed that up, didn't I? No, actually, you did really good. I got it. All right. Well, yeah. I, I was practicing beforehand. so uh steph has actually been a speaker at uh, one of our previous conferences so thank you for that thank you for that (laughs) yeah always good to find uh excellent people and uh i understand that you've got a bit of an interesting story as how you got into tech and into cybersecurity. would you care to give us uh, a few minutes on that Absolutely. Uh, essentially, I was in a I was in college and I was doing a print journalism program because I like to write. Um, but I found out I did not like journalism at all. Like <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed parts of it, but not enough to make it a career. And so um, I ended up moving back home. Uh, I was in D.C. at the time. So I moved back home and um, I was getting ready to, to transfer schools. And I was like, well, I don't want to do journalism that's what all my credits are on are in. So what I don't know what to do. And my mom was like, well, you've always been pretty good with computers. Like maybe you should do something like computer science. And so I thought it was really intimidated. <laughs> and I was kind of like, I don't know. But I finally went and talked to um, the department uh, chair and like their the secretary. And um, I decided I was going to go ahead and try it. And then the secretary literally said there's software programming there's computer science, and then there is information assurance or digital forensics. And so I said, digital forensics and information assurance sounds cool. So (laughs) I picked that one to be my concentration and then it went from there. And you had no idea what you were getting yourself into. Absolutely no idea (laughs) what, what it was. I didn't know if I could do it. Nothing. So that's what started the entire journey to eventually getting my job. I ended up doing like a lot of tech jobs that were not necessarily security related, um, but worked with like either networks or systems or um, help desk or whatever. And then finally getting my first security job last year. Congratulations. Thank you. So uh, this week's topic is cybersecurity on a tiny budget. I know that uh, I don't have the largest budget in the world when it comes to cybersecurity and many other non-enterprise, smaller IT teams are generally struggling just to figure out, well, you know, I know it's a big topic. I know it's a big issue. But what the hell am I supposed to do about it? Because I've got a small team, no dedicated staff for cyber and uh, very little in the way of budget. So uh, let's jump right in here. What are some of the basic tips that you would start with for somebody who's trying to figure out how to do cybersecurity on a tiny budget? Um, I think the most important thing is to figure out what is important to your your company. So what's important to your boss might not be as important to the, like the CFO or the CEO or your boss's boss. So having a meeting with everyone who matters, so to speak, is very important because that way you don't have to spin your wheels and waste your time, you know, researching or speaking to vendors and you don't have the support of leadership. So having the conversation initially out the gate of, hey, 
what is it that's most important here? What do you, especially when the budget is tiny, you have to, basically you can't have all the fancy things. You have to figure out, okay, are you more concerned with just being compliant and you don't care about securing, you know, everything? Or are you more concerned with making sure that, you know, the the mass amounts of log data that we have is like untouched? Um, are you more, you know, um, are you more interested in like making sure the network is secure? Like you have to figure out what part of security they're mostly interested in, um, which also means kind of dying to yourself a little bit because <laughs> as a security <laughs> professional, <laughs> you have your own agenda and you're looking at frameworks and you're saying, okay, well, this is what we need to do to be a more mature, have a, a more mature program. But you kind of have to die to your own wants and needs and, and pay attention to what the business ultimately wants. That way you can do your job as effectively as possible without pulling out your hair. <laughs> so that's the first thing I would suggest. And then after that, I would probably say, um, do your research first on that thing. Um, so whatever it is, do your research on, and find out if there's like a freer, ver is like a free version or a free tier of some of the software that you would like to use. Um, that will kind of require a lot of talking to vendors. And um, I know a lot of people don't enjoy those. Um, it's not necessarily my favorite, mostly because I don't like being sold something. I like if you're, I like the product to actually work and function <laughs> as they're selling me and not just sell me something and I get the product and it's actually crap. So I don't think any of us like that. It's terrible. Oh, exactly. And, you know, I don't think, I don't actually think that a lot of salespeople understand uh, what happens when the product is actually fully deployed. I think they just know that they're supposed to sell something. Um, and they get really good at explaining things. They re get really good at learning technical terms because that's a part of the job. But I, I don't know that they, a lot of them spend time like actually learning like what the implications of certain things are, especially when they say stuff. So it's really difficult. And then when you have technical salespeople, they're also in cahoots. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't really, you're not really sure. I wish that they would bring someone who actually like, does the does the support role or the support job after onboarding is done after you've been wined and dined and kind of like really talk the real nitty gritty with you because I think that's that will just cut a whole bunch of frustration out but that's not the world we live in <laughs> unfortunately yeah I am starting to see some companies head in that direction though where the person who is doing uh, who's brought on uh, almost as a subject matter expert during the negotiation process or during the calls uh, when you're really interested in the product ends up ultimately becoming your account manager and I've seen that popular in in certain other industries as well and I, I imagine that as time goes on, as software becomes more specific, and yet also including lots of different areas of the same kind of genre, the same spectrum, that you're going to see more more account managers getting involved because you need to develop that relationship from the from the very beginning, from the get go. Oh yeah, because once you've lost the faith of the customer, you've pretty much lost the business. Oh yeah, <laughs> like aside from you cutting the price in half, and even at that point, well. Actually, I'm not going to even say that because I think sometimes if you do cut the price in half, there are certain managers who are completely fine with taking a product that's not that great and and just justifying it because it's very mm -hmm. cheap. Um, but the, the most important thing about securing uh, an enterprise or just a business or company in any way um, 
on a budget is to make sure that it's effective because there's no point in you getting cheap crap (laughs) that doesn't, you know, you need something that's cheap, but like you're getting the best bang for your buck. If you're the only person doing security, then a push to have support is always important. But you know, I mean, you just sometimes you just can't get that stuff. Um, and I, to be honest, the debate on that for me, I kind of feel like there should be no team of ones. I think that there at the very least should be like a team of three. And that way you don't have burnout as quickly and you probably get more use out of your out of your guys and than to guys, girls, than to you know, have one person who's like spinning their wheels and really stressed out, burnt out, always on call and doesn't have a backup, you know, trying to appeal to basically doing everything. And then, you know, things slip through the cracks. And I mean, who could blame them? It's a one man show for something that people have entire operation centers for. So I think it, it, it can be really tricky to do on a budget. It's definitely possible. I think during the panel, I, I specifically said that, you know, not having a budget is not an excuse, which is true. Um, that's why I say it's really important to just in the beginning, figure out what is important to the business. Like, are you worried about customer data? Is that what we're trying to secure? Are you, you don't care about that? Are we pin and chip? And so all the information goes straight to the bank. You don't have customer data, then that probably isn't what you should secure. So then we're looking at, you know, other stuff like other things. So it it can vary. Um, I know there are some companies that are more concerned about compliance more so because of keeping it and not wanting to pay ridiculous fines for lapsing Um, and then less concerned about security. Um, And then there are some people that kind of want both. So I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a, I think it's a huge undertaking um, and not something that I would recommend, but I do understand that, you know, smaller shops just can't afford it. Um, But it's, like I said, it's not a reason to go for something that's really crappy uh, just because it it's cheap. You want to say if it's going to be cheap, that's fine. But I would like it to be something good, you know, so. No, for sure. And it's interesting that you bring up burnout. Burnout was actually just uh, classified this week uh, by the WHO as an actual um, medical condition, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I saw and, that. And that's really something that's crazy because, you know, maybe now the medical insurance companies will say, all right, fine, you know, go take a week on a beach in Tahiti on us. That would be really nice. i wish (laughs) wouldn't that be great (laughs) yeah (laughs) so you know it definitely makes sense what you're saying don't cheap out on uh the software the hardware that you're getting i've seen some some statistics by analysts that are saying that uh ransomware alone has seen a 350 percent increase in attacks in 2018 and uh it's likely that businesses will fall victim to a ransomware attack every 11 seconds by 2021 now that's uh, crazy numbers and i don't want to you know f- spread fear or anything but this is this is the growing market this is a always on always digital going ransomware is just one of the pieces that it, one of the pieces one of the pieces of the puzzle and um you know it just it gets so difficult to keep up with everything so when you say choose a product or choose a service are you talking about antivirus? Are you talking about firewalls? Are you talking about endpoint solutions? Um, you know what? What should a a IT team uh, that's at you know, like I said, a, a mid sized company? So, for example, myself, I've got a team of five. We're managing five hundred computers. 
you know, we're invested pretty heavily in certain areas, but I have a little bit more leeway in my budget than others. Uh, but, you know, I would say antivirus and, and make sure that you've got things like uh, uh, real-time file analytics and, and analyzation, things like that. What would you recommend? That's a great question. Um, I think that when I said that, I kind of just really meant anything that's important to them. Mm-hmm. Now, I did assume that the basics were covered, like having a firewall, even if it's not like some super souped up Palo Alto or anything like that. If it's like, even if it's a small something, you know, budget friendly, having that is very important because it blocks out a lot of a lot of things. Um, antivirus, that's very, very important because it also blocks out, you know, it, th- those things are like, they're not the end all be all, but they are, they do contribute to at least being somewhat covered. Um, and so those are, those are, you know, a given. And in these days uh, I've heard and I've seen, um, and I'm also demoing for my own home, like setup, uh, Windows Defender and seeing, you know, everybody says it's, it, they're actually doing a really good job. Um, funny enough, I felt, I feel like they, Windows Security Center was like, a, you know, doing really well. And then I thought that Microsoft kind of like said, well, we don't want to focus on that anymore and kind of dropped it. And then like now I guess Windows Defender is doing a great job because I've heard several times that even some companies have decided to just go with Windows Defender since they are, they tend to be Windows shops. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, if that's the case, then you've got a built-in antivirus, <laughs> like, and you, all you need to worry about is maybe a couple of different licenses. Um, so this is actually something that I've actually encountered recently, which is having like your main antivirus that does the scans weekly, maybe daily, all that stuff, and then a real-time scan. But then also having like a second opinion scan for like, just to make sure like, okay, well, this particular antivirus software has these definitions or it's signature based or what have you. Um, but maybe this other one has a different set of definitions or, you know, signatures, um, that I can use to make sure that nothing's going wrong. Um, but there's all these newer, like newer antivirus solutions where it's, you got some machine learning involved and all of that, like fancy (laughs) term, you know, terms, but those tend to be more expensive. So I would say, Sometimes you don't have to think too hard. Sometimes you can just slap Windows Defender, demo it, like, you know, see what it blocks, see what it doesn't. Um, If you have time, uh, which is very valuable to a small team, but if you do have the time to put someone um, like maybe a couple hours a day to like try attacking it with like just the most basic, you know, attacks on on the web that they can find um, and just test it out from your, from like an outside perspective that helps, um, to give you peace of mind, but the reputation of windows defender team seems to be going up. So that's like super cheap because like I said, it comes with the licenses for the machines anyway, and then you can use money for other things. Um, but I always think a firewall, you know, should happen both like a network firewall and then the one that's on the machines themselves. Um, I always think that antivirus should be a given. I think that companies should invest a, you know, good portion of money uh, towards either cybersecurity awareness training um, or uh, phishing, like some sort of email security or a combination of both, if possible. Um, those can be expensive too, depending on which vendor you go with, but there are affordable ones that are lesser known. There are 
you know, more known ones. And then sometimes you can get a reseller that really will give you a good price. So also working with reseller vendors can help lower the price down on some things. You can negotiate some uh, contracts because they typically have some sort of partnership with these vendors and are able to go lower in price. So that's something to consider as well. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that those, those, I would, I already assumed that those bases were covered, but you made a good point that if you're starting from ground zero, then you might not even have those. So, uh, the basics, uh, the other stuff is more like a defense in depth type of thing, but the basics should be covered. Things should be properly segmented on the network, mostly so that you can, you know, minimize the effect of attacks like ransomware attacks. Um, and then also backups. Those are very important when it comes to trying to combat against that as well. Um, but you also have to think about storage space. And if that's something that you have and are willing to commit to, that kind of thing. So it can get really complicated, honestly, <laughs> which is why it ends up being the conversation is not just a one meeting and then you're done. It's a series of meetings where you talk about many different things. Um, so you want to be very organized when you're trying to create your your security maturity program. And you also want to give, I think a lot of executives specifically get scared when you want to do a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. But us technical people, we're kind of like, let's just get it all done now and not have to worry about it. So you end up having to space this stuff out over like years. <laughs> and that can seem, well, to me, it's annoying, <laughs> but it's, it's what I've seen like in pretty much every job of mine. Nothing is implemented like really quickly. Everything takes forever to be implemented unless it's like some sort of really critical security vulnerability that needs to be patched. You see what I'm saying? So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and I even venture to say, as far as training goes, that you don't even need to go out and get somebody or uh, an online course or, or something where uh, they have these things out there, if, if our listeners are not familiar with them, where you can actually have people uh, receive emails that are simulated phishing, where they look like a legitimate email and, you know, as if they were to come in as a phished email, uh, they all look legitimate until you look really, really closely. And then they'll provide a report afterwards where it tells you who would have fallen for it and, and who should be retrained, etc. But I, right. I think that also before even going to that, if you don't have the budget for something like that, is uh, just general education of your users it, because you know people don't necessarily know things about uh, what not to click on or when you're going to download something. Well, first of all, you shouldn't be downloading anything without asking me. But besides that, <laughs> besides that, if they are downloading something, don't click on the ad that says download now. Click on the actual <laughs> download link and uh you know hover over links to see where the link actually goes uh or you know just generally getting them to know hey if this doesn't look right or something feels off about this it probably is bring it to me i'll take a look you know right. i've got ways of testing this or just don't click on it right and <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned that too because i was um trying to build out a social engineering course like def a defensive you know, base course on it. And I talked to Jason Street, who deals with that. And he was telling me, 
he was like, your users don't care about your data. They don't care about your data. They don't care about the security of your company. (laughs) They're not invested in it whatsoever. So everything that you tell them about securing your company might go in one ear and out the other. And so I'm like, okay, so then what do you do? (laughs) That seems kind of, (laughs) you know, bleak. And he said, teach them how to secure their own data. And then they will naturally secure your data because they've learned what, you know, what good security practices are. And so he was saying that your lunch and learn should be focused around their own personal lives. So talking about their own personal network and talking about their own personal emails and things of that nature and relating it back to the user. So it makes it more relatable and that would stay in their minds longer. Um, I haven't tested the theory, but if I know human beings that, definitely feels like a very, very smart um, way to go about it. Because do you pay attention when you see like attacks on on the news, you might say, oh, that's terrible, right? But when it's in your backyard, you start to <laughs> you start to look and see, okay, well, where do I live? And am I protected? Do I have like, you know, security here? Like, do I need to do mm-hmm. some, anything different? So Set when it hits- the alarm, lock your doors, make sure the car's in the garage. Exactly. So, but you wouldn't do that if it's like, you, oh, nothing's ever happened in this neighborhood. I'm fine. <laughs> like, so I think that, that is like the perfect way to go about it. And it's something that I never, ever considered ever. And I think um, lately I've had a lot of security professionals talk about how um, we as tech people tend to like isolate ourselves or distance ourselves from users. And even the term of user being an insensitive term, which I didn't really, or a dehumanizing term is what they said. So even though it's better than most of the things I call them. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And so he, you know, a lot of them are saying like, we should not be as divisive with users and we should be more, um, understanding that this is not their nine to five, that they are maybe not as uh, well-versed in technical matters or security matters, but they have their own thing that they're experts of that we probably know nothing about. So we should share our knowledge rather than kind of be frustrated. And that's something that I have to remind myself literally every day, (laughs) literally every day. And so he was going on that tangent too about, you know, we all want to get frustrated at them for clicking on the link, but we are going about the training the wrong way. And so, yeah, I don't think that you're, you don't have to get a no before or one of these really big uh, cybersecurity awareness training programs or softwares or whatever to be able to educate users. You can definitely make your own PowerPoint. You know, if there's a slight budget for some some refreshments, you can get that. Make a lunch and learn. Everybody likes free food. So everybody will come. And if you teach them something that they can relate to, then they have something to take home and they start. Maybe that gets the wheels turning, you know, um, the atta- the simulations is it's funny that you mentioned that because um, sometimes you see repeat offenders, no matter how many times you make them watch the video. <laughs> No matter how many times you make them watch the videos or how many times you, you know, sit them down and tell them where they got it wrong. Some people just don't really, they're like technophobes and they don't care, especially when you work for a company that's not a tech company and Mm -hmm. you work with a lot of people whose functions have nothing whatsoever to do with tech. Like I work with a global law firm. So a lot of the lawyers, they're, I mean, the most that they're dealing with tech is their laptop to 
pull up their files. <laughs> like, and that's it. So a lot of them don't even really use their computers. They just like take around, you know, their own. And that's most of the older, the old school um, lawyers are who just take around their briefcases. And You're lucky if they don't leave their laptop in the cab. Exactly. There was one time, <laughs> there was one time somebody had, um, uh, they had a, like, I think, I don't know how it happened cause they don't, they didn't use their machine, but their machine flagged for some really strange behavior. And so during the investigation, it was like, I haven't turned that thing on <laughs> in, in so long. And I just turned it on the other day and I'm like, well, maybe it's just <laughs> the definitions haven't updated in so long. So, so yeah, you're lucky if they just don't like leave their laptop somewhere. You know, I think the only reason why they have it is because they know that they need to keep in touch, but a lot of them use their phones. So when you do work in environments like that with people who don't, have any interest in technology and actually think that technology is the devil. Um, you have to find a way to like really bring it home for them that even though it might be the devil, it is something that is inevitable, you know, like Thanos. <laughs> so yes. I feel like, yeah, I feel like you just have to kind of get on the bag. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, seriously, folks, if you're not utilizing lunch and learns or as some people call them brown bag sessions, they are crucial. It doesn't take a lot. You can just, you know, if you can't get the budget for it, um, most people can. But if you can't, that's OK. But just buy some donuts even, you know, or just have people bring their lunches, sit down and just tell them a story. People understand stories intuitively. And uh, I recently started doing this where I put together a slideshow where the slides are, are pretty basic. They're they're fairly uh, lacking in data because most of that is coming from me and it's more to drive the story forward. And I've I've put interesting tidbits in there, such as using the, the face of the person who I'm introducing, say, hey, this is Joe, using one of the faces that was generated by the AI face generator. I don't know oh if you've, you've heard about that. Yes. Because when you tell them that this isn't a real person and that this was actually automatically generated by a computer, they start to lose their minds and it opens <laughs> them up to the idea of, oh, holy crap, we should really pay attention because this is worse than I thought. Not to like scare them into it, but it gets them focused. It's a jolt. <laughs> it's a jolt, exactly. Yeah. And then from there, it's just tell a story. It's, hey, you know, Joe is the new rock star salesperson and he just got started over in this department. And use your own internal, you know, lingo, your own internal departments and stuff and just walk them through it and be like, you know, Joe did X, Y, and Z. Don't be like Joe. And then they say, hey, here's Lucy. And you switch to another picture of, of, of a woman generated from the AI site and uh, just show here's how lucy's story went and lucy did it, these things correctly and this is how lucy protected her data etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know that's that's just a really simple doesn't cost you anything more than a couple of hours and and trust me it is so worth the time and the other thing also that i've started doing is a tech tip tuesdays which i totally invite you to steal and it's just sending out an email every tuesday to the whole company that says hey Here's a quick tip to help you understand things more about tech. It doesn't have to be about work either. I, I, I sent one out a couple of weeks ago that was just telling people why it's a good idea to put a screen protector on your phone and that you should be sure to get the tempered glass screen protectors because the other ones don't work as wow. well. Wow. People loved it. You taught me something. <laughs> There you go. I didn't know that you could do that. I didn't know that there were there were screen there were screen protectors that also doubled as privacy screens. 
Well, there are, but that's not the ones that oh, I was talking about. Um, they do have those, but the tempered glass screen protectors in particular are better than the just the regular plastic film ones that they used to have because the film ones only go so far as as protecting your phone screen from the actual right. impact of when you drop your phone, whereas the tempered glass ones actually right. shatter, and that that really takes most of the, the the brunt of the impact off of your phone. And I've I've got you know the latest iPhone because I was seriously due for an update. Uh, my old one was ancient <laughs> and um, I've, I don't drop my phones very often, but just in the course of using it. And uh, once in a while it drops off when I'm trying to put it in my case, in my, on my belt, it drops off. Um, I've broken, I think now three of these screen oh, protectors, wow. but my screen is completely intact, not a scratch. Wow. You know, it's the little things like that, that if you, like you were saying, if you get them to understand how to take care of their things better, then they'll take and care they of their totally, things And they totally, and honestly, I think a lot of it can be fascinating if it's explained in like a, like a friendly way like that. I think sometimes we as, you know, geeks can get a little bit too excited and start shooting off at the mouth, at the mouth. And then the person's looking <laughs> at you, eyes glazed over, mouth open and they're just kind of like uh thanks <laughs> like today i had to explain a i had to explain a web proxy to a, to a friend who's not technical she oh, works fun. at the same place yeah and i could feel myself as i'm talking i'm like I'm saying a lot of stuff that I probably should spend more time on. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of get used to talking to technical people all day because if you're in IT, then you just talk to other people who understand what you're saying. And so when someone who's not technical expresses interest, it's really hard to dial it down sometimes and remember. Um, I don't have the same challenge when I'm presenting to a large group and I know I'm supposed to be presenting, but I think my challenge comes when you know, having a one-on-one with someone and saying, yeah, you just did it. And then they're like, okay, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, well, we have the curse of knowledge. Yes. I would say that. Yeah. So when we get going on something, we start throwing out terms and they're just like, what's this web that you speak? of?" (laughs) Exactly. So I think, I think that putting it in bite-sized chunks like that and making it very user-friendly in terms of understanding what the, why it would be valuable is important, especially in an age where grabbing someone's attention is so hard, uh, we compete even in the office. You, you as a t- IT professional are competing with the person's actual job and then all the responsibilities that they have, all the projects they have going on. And then also whatever happens on their phone. <laughs> so oh, yeah. you're competing with all of that and you want to hold their attention. And so there's lots of tricks that, that are coming out, you know, for, from a marketing standpoint of how to grab someone's attention and get them to read your article or whatever, but you have to do the kind of the same thing with in office uh, communications too. So I think that's a really cool point and something that I'll bring up <laughs> as a steal. <laughs> I actually saw a question asked in a group that I'm in this week of, uh, is it totally crazy to want to, or even go as far as firing somebody who fails multiple phishing tests? Ooh, this is, I'm not sure. This is, I don't know. This is controversial because at that point they're a liability. Right. (laughs) Um, and at the risk of sounding harsh, I probably would, um, because like I said, at that point they are a liability and that's after 
a lot of training, even so far as to like sit with the person (laughs) and go over things and they still can't, either they would have a heavily restricted like machine, like as in you're not allowed to do anything without permission or lock it down. Exactly. Lock it down completely. Or it's like, sir, I mean, I'm sorry. Or, or ma'am, like I can't, it's just like, <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't let you on the network. It just can't. So yeah, I don't know. What would you say? Cause <laughs> I would say that it would have to be um, like you mentioned after a tremendous amount of training before you could actually say, Hey, you're not capable of doing this. Um, you know, it's, it's like anything else that would be an infraction with HR. Right. And this is where the job continues to change as technology becomes a much bigger part of our everyday, uh, well, everything, you know, uh, whether it's work or your cell phone or everything in between your home life. Uh, it's, it's much more involved with technology. And it used to be that um, they would send people for retraining if they couldn't use a typewriter. And that's, you know, this is the next generation, if you will, not necessarily one up from there, we've come a long way. But if you're not capable of doing something that puts the company at risk, or like, say the person was a CPA, and they were filing the taxes wrong, you know, what would you do there? Right. And honestly, you would probably (laughs) you would most definitely fire them. (laughs) And again, I'm not an HR. So that's true. And you know, (laughs) things are very complicated with HR these days. I I feel like um, I feel like I, I don't I don't know if it's the market or the time, like the, the, just the time we're in, but it takes a lot for HR in the jobs I've had to fire someone like a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. I think it also depends where you are. I'm out in California and you have to have serious documentation, multiple infractions, like some real stuff going on before you can actually fire somebody. We had somebody who was just camping for a while. They weren't even doing their job (sighs) and they would either come in or they wouldn't, but they hadn't been reported by their manager. And so we had to wait until they would do it again and we could record it. And then I don't know what happened in the end. I imagine they got around to firing that person. But you have to be really, you know, there's a lot of laws in play here. Which is, I mean, that's, that is true, but I feel like Texas is at will. So, and you sign document, you sign documents that basically say that at any point, if the company decides to sever their ties with you and fire you, they reserve the right to do that. And you agree. So here they have. Well, it is Texas. They always fire. <laughs> okay, <laughs> exactly. So here they have you it. me up for that one. No, I mean, I, I look, I'm not even going <laughs> to, I'm not even going to protest. <laughs> but I feel like here, you know, they have the, the jurisdiction to be like, buy but they do not they do not exert that power they just kind of spin their wheels and the reason why i say that is you know i've worked on several teams at this point over my career and it never fails there's always someone who's been there entirely too long and is not happy about it and can bring down the whole entire team um whether they're not pulling their weight and then that puts a strain on everyone else or their morale is terrible and it kind of tanks everybody else's morale. Um, I think at Tab Geeks, there was a conversation, there was a talk where they mentioned if somebody's a bad seed to, you know, work them out of the company because it's just not going to get any better. And so I feel like, I feel like I don't understand the the desire to keep someone like that, especially in a state where it's not as touchy to let people go. So unless it's like a, about unemployment, I don't really know anything about how that works, but 
maybe it's about paying them money <laughs> eventually. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get the users out of the way. If you've got people that are are you know, people will be people, and and we're none of us are perfect, and there's always going to be something that we'll get through. I've told a story at the Techniques Conference and a couple of other places uh, where I had a perfect storm come in, and there was an employee who had left the company, and he had sent in an email saying, "Hey, here's some work documents that I came across on my personal laptop, and uh, when I find more, I'll send them over." And uh, the person he sent them to received an email the following day from what looked like this guy. And I don't know how they figured out that it had to come from him or maybe his email was hacked and somebody was watching it. But they sent in something that said documents for work and it was a ransomware loaded file. So she the person who who had received the email, she was well trained and she, uh, you know, received an email from someone that she trusted and had been working with for quite some time and got her computer. And that's where what you were talking about before segmentation comes in. Yeah. Right. Would you like to elaborate more on why segmentation is important and what should be segmented? Absolutely. So segmentation, first of all, is very important because it minimizes the risk of having everybody in the network affected. So if I put everybody, like let's use an analogy of like a house. Um, so if I put everybody in a house, and everybody's in a room in the house and I lock all the doors. And let's say there's a a thief and he's not necessarily breaking the doors down with physical force, but is trying to pick locks. And he successfully picks one lock to one room, but every room has a different key. That person's gained access to that one room so that only that room is affected. And if he can't get into all the others because they're, they've got better locks or they've got more locks or it'll take them more time to break into those locks, whatever have you, it minimizes the, the, out, the fallout from, from him gaining access to the house and then gaining access to a room. Um, that was a really interesting analogy. But, uh, that sounds like a terrible place to live. <laughs> the analogy works in the in the corporate environment. <laughs> right. So it, it helps to have everything segmented because it's like, okay, this person got in, yes, but they only had access to these specific things. Um, also, it helps to make sure that you know, you're using like, for instance, admin accounts are separate from user accounts and you have to switch into admin to do things. And they're like completely separate on completely separate levels. Cause that also helps to make sure if somebody gets control of your account, but it's just your user account, they don't have elevated privileges to do anything. Um, and that kind of helps too. But segmentation is very important for the reasons that I've stated. Um, and there was, what was the second part? Uh, what things can be segmented? Um, so I think that for the sake of organization and not creating some sort of environment that is a nightmare for anybody coming after you to maintain, um, it's best to segment them by departments. Um, and then if a particular department has uh, very critical information or, or access to critical files, like the finance department or something like that, uh, taking extra measures to make sure that that specific department is is very sec- is secured and probably off to the side. Um, so you can segment users, you can segment machines. Um, sometimes you can do both. So you can have people who have network-based uh, credentials log into a machine and that automatically associates that machine with a certain, you know, segment of the 
the network. Um, you can do that. That's, I think that creates less of a headache. Um, and, uh, what else can be segmented? I think those are the main things, unless I'm missing something, but I think those are the main things that you would focus on, um, for, this is where where getting good with a firewall comes in handy. If you take a course on learning more about your firewall, or if you have an MSP that you work with to manage your firewall, you know, have a conversation with them and say, "Hey, we're trying to get more protection here. How can we create different networks even for these people? If they don't have to access uh, shared resources such as printers or um, you know, right. if you have on-prem file storage things like that, I'd even go as far as to say what I've done is I've actually uh, totally segmented the Wi-Fi." as well. So the Wi-Fi is on an entire separate network. It's actually on an entire separate internet connection because we have a backup uh, cable connection. So the Wi-Fi all goes out over that on a separate firewall entirely, which then will reroute the internet connection via another firewall into my primary if it needs to fail over. Um, But you've got people bringing their devices to the environment and and BYOD is is nothing new. But you've got much more advanced attacks that are happening on Android devices, especially right. iOS is, is quite a bit more locked down, but you've got, you know, people buy phones off the internet and oftentimes they have no idea where they're getting from. And you can, if you get a, a loaded Android phone from China, or whatever, there's no turning back. They've got everything. You know, what's so funny. I did not realize that that was happening. <laughs> that just like I think a couple of years ago, for the first time, I realized that people were um, selling their phones, and that's always been something that's happened. But selling their phones and then reporting it as stolen, so you can't use that phone, <laughs> so you essentially uh-huh. are just giving the money. So now they're sending phones with malware. That's great. <laughs> malware or cryptocurrency miners. Oh my gosh! Or, you know. <laughs> Uh, things that that are that are have back doors open into the system or remote access or even you know uh, uh, yeah shell back doors things like that so it's it's just getting more and more difficult to protect against these things so segmentation i think uh, is is a good thing that you brought that up because that's that's really important as you know even if something gets on the network they can't get through right and even even like for instance when you have people using their own devices, uh, whether it be their phones, tablets, or laptops, or things of that nature, um, setting up some sort of uh, rule or policy to where they can't access certain company uh, softwares or uh, emails mm-hmm. or whatever without being connected to VPN is important as well. That's something that I've seen uh, many times or having certain permissions on their phones. Especially for people who travel. Exactly. That's It's very important to have things like that. I think bring your own device. I understand the need for it. It saves money and saving money always wins over everything else. <laughs> right. Saving money and making money. You're going to have a higher adoption rate too. You know, right. People are going to either want to use their own phones out of convenience or they're not going to want to use their phones for work, but they're definitely going to want to stream music on them. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so when you have. Which still means connecting to some network. But, and then it always, it also means like being able to handle all manner of devices and software mm-hmm. because just because Outlook is in iOS and, and Android doesn't necessarily mean they're configured the same way or that they will behave the same way with the software that you have existing. Um, so yeah. it creates a kind of a certain level of complexity. I think it would be up to the, the organization to 
to, you know, assess that risk and say, okay, well, or assess that the effort and say, okay, well, the effort it takes to set this up costs this, or if we just do this, like that would save us money or whatever. So I think it's just, yeah, (laughs) bring your own device is very interesting because people go and do whatever they want to do with their devices. And if they don't, if they're not security savvy, that could open you up to a lot of things. Um, So for instance, for us, um, no device has access to no like phone or tablet um, that, or even machine that is not like a registered machine, you know, on the network has access to the network. It's, literally off mm-hmm. on the visitor <laughs> wi-fi and it just you go straight through the 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 to the internet and you know the a proxy might be passively looking to see like what's going on in case we need to see it but nothing's being like monitored because it's like you could be here in the office and un, and unmonitored you could be at home unmonitored you can be anywhere so what's the point of mm-hmm. you know being active you know so uh, you just kind of, that's, that's something that I've often had an issue with, especially like with previous companies uh, that I've worked for where, you know, bring your own device was a huge debate and the safety because you're, you're trusting people to be safe with their own devices. And that's not always the case. I've seen some moves in that area also from, from the email providers or the service providers to, um, to, to help us in that regard. So, for example, I'm a big G Suite user. Anybody who listens to the podcast or, or talks to me for more than 10 minutes will figure <laughs> that out. And although we've been on this podcast for a while and I haven't mentioned it yet, so I must be breaking <laughs> up some kind of record here. But, you know, G Suite just sent out an alert saying, hey, you know, we're going to be setting up a mandatory password uh, on all devices that have a work, uh, either Gmail or Google Docs or Drive or whatnot installed. And it's it's going to be automatically turned on unless you turn the feature off. And that's a shift in thinking that some of the larger companies that I imagine Microsoft is also either already has or is considering um, doing because they realize that BYOD is is here to stay and it's a big part of business today. Right. And uh, it's just so much easier for us to say, okay, sure, you can have this data on your device, but it's going to be on our terms and it's going to be secure in our little corner of your device and the rest of your device, you can do whatever the heck you want. Right. However, I think there's often a debate too about what, about the, the, that, you know, um, demarcation between what does the company own on your device and what do you own on your device and what should the company Mm -hmm. try to get access to and what shouldn't they, you know, cause let's say Mm -hmm. for whatever. So something in security that happens a lot is like a, maybe like a legal hold or a litigation hold where um, if you feel like the person might be, uh, you know, extracting information from the company and, and sending it somewhere or that there are, you know, colluding with criminals or something like that, you want to put them on litigation hold, which essentially means keeping a copy of everything that the person does and not really allowing anything to be fully deleted from, from like their email mm-hmm. um, accounts or, you know, messages. So uh, <laughs> there's a certain like ethical concern about, okay, what is the level? Like, we should only be concerned about things that directly affect the company, right? But that could include mm-hmm. text messages. That could include IMs. Yep. That could include, you know, of obviously emails, but it gets gets a step further. What about Twitter DMs? <laughs> you know, what about 
you know, mm-hmm. a Slack or, or, you know, even Signal or something like that? Like, what about all these other messages? Do, do I then have a right as a company to demand a copy of those things too, because you might have discussed work? Then that becomes like a kind of murky, <laughs> a murky territory as well. Oh, for sure. And I imagine that we're going to see the laws start to reflect that in a little while because we're seeing a lot of time and effort and energy going into um, consumer privacy laws. Uh, you've got GDPR in Europe. You've got the California Privacy Consumer Privacy Protection, something or other, that's coming out, going into effect uh, in January of right. 2020. And you've got – I was just at, a, at the Interop conference, and I heard – one of the speakers there who I hope to have on the podcast to talk about these laws uh, in a couple of weeks, he basically said, you've got, you know, 50 states in the U.S. and you have 50 different privacy laws that are going yep. into effect. And, you know, that that's frustrating as all hell for us. But I think that once people take the time to really flesh these things out and realize how far this goes in terms of who's accessing or controlling or owning data, you're going to start to see some laws uh, put into place to protect employees. Absolutely. And yeah, it's a wonderful question. If you're doing something in an end-to-end encrypted platform, such as uh, a, a signal a signal end-to-end? I think, I think so. Yeah, signal, signal, or, or uh, you know, uh, what's the other one with the T? Tel- <laughs> Telegram. Well, I, I hesitant. I'm hesitant to say WhatsApp because it is owned by the great big Facebook. And they had they had yeah. a, a mishap a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Uh, you know where where that was mm-hmm. challenged anyway. So yeah. 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 So in theory, it's end to end encryption sounds good. But, um, you know, even even with more advanced uh, devices or or more advanced applications that are that are that haven't been hacked yet. um, I say yet because you either haven't hacked or you will or you just don't. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I really think that we're going to see a lot more laws going into place that are going to protect people in the workplace, just like how you have workman's comp and you have different laws that are they're surrounding what can or cannot be done in terms of your rights as an employee. This is probably going to be another interesting area. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, right. And I'm, I'm excited to see these laws go into effect and like see what the change, what kind of change that brings. I know a lot of people might not be because of the extra work, but I think it's really interesting to make sure. I mean, that's the, the, the point of being ethical is the greater good and making sure people's rights mm-hmm. aren't being infringed upon, you know, and we're not getting carried away with what we think that we are owed or entitled to. Um, that's what the law mm-hmm. is supposed to be there for. So I'm excited to see the, how that changes the landscape of things. So. Oh, for sure. And if anything, it'll at least bring the conversation to the fact that, hey, your data is something that should be secured and you should care. Exactly. About exactly. So and just one more uh, area that I want to jump into here that I think is really important. And you touched upon it briefly before is kind of knowing where your shit is. Just you, your company, you've got a lot of data and it's probably everywhere. <laughs> So if you're getting hit and you've not yet done decent segmentation, or if you have done decent segmentation, having a map, knowing where all that is, you know, that's, that's really important and could, could honestly make or break your job or, or the situation in terms of, in terms of your response. Um, what, do you have any tools that you would recommend for mapping this out or techniques for even using something cheap like, uh, 
like a Google draw or something else to put that together? Actually, the Google draw, that's a good suggestion. Um, from what has, or whatever they call it. <laughs> I'm not sure what they, I've, uh, that's news to me. So that's something I was actually going to look up after this. <laughs> well, they, they have a, a, a mapping. Yeah. They have Google draws, Google draws, okay. create diagrams and charts for free. I just, Googled okay. It. Cause uh, I'm used so, to like you know, maybe Visio. So that's been used at many mm-hmm. uh, companies that I've, been a part of uh, where they draw sure. the networks mostly is mostly concerned about or concerning and around the network par- portion of it um, and not necessarily like the machines themselves <laughs> but uh, mostly like the network and where how how traffic flows and um, you know what IPs are where where's DMZ what's in the DMZ uh, why is that in like questioning things and I find that Every new network guy or every new security person, um, if they work closely together, has to end up redoing it. (laughs) And it's happened every (laughs) single job I've had where they see it and they're like, "Ugh!" like, I think people just have to do make their own. I think you you look at what's existing and you kind of make your own because it will make better sense to you. But um, I definitely feel like uh, Visio is something that I've seen used and it works. It works fine. I, I mean, I'm not, I personally have not made it myself. I've more so been a part of the conversation of what goes where. Um, so I've helped in making it, but I have not like physically gone in and done the arrows and the icons and all of that. So I can't speak too much like to the actual process of whether Visio is painful or not for that kind of thing. But um, that's what I've seen used. I think it's very important to know where things are, know how things work, um, because when it comes to troubleshooting, you don't pull your hair out as much because you're aware of things. Um, The more intimate you are with your environment, the better for troubleshooting and knowing where to start and not spending countless amount of hours on something that you didn't have to if you just knew where things lie. So that's very important. Um, also one thing that I forgot to say about the firewall, just want to touch on it too, um, is that you, you can have your firewall pretty locked down, um, even regionally, like some of the firewalls can block by country. So if you know, you have no business with other countries, like that's, it's probably a safe bet to just lock everything down except for the U S unless somebody's traveling and then, you know, just whitelisting them for a period of time and then revoking Mm -hmm. access. So. That was just something I wanted to add in terms of that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, I have a last, really last thing sure. here is uh, while we touch upon tools, um, do you have any tools that you could suggest that are uh, not expensive that would be something, even if it's uh, utilizing open source software, um, what are some things that people can get started with to uh, just start playing around with cybersecurity if they want to do a little bit more than just the just the basics, just covering your bases and the perimeter, et cetera? I think using uh, Security Onion, which uses the um, Elk stack, is one of the best things that you can do. The learning curve is steep. So you'll be working on this for a while, <laughs> but I think it's like you're the, the perfect way to kind of introduce you to um, logging and looking at information from logs um, and also like looking at network uh, alerts and signature, like getting familiar with just with the, the ingestion of, of like information and data, and then having this software kind of parse through things and, and present you with what could possibly be going on. And then you getting into the habit of tuning false positives and 
finding out, okay, well, this doesn't actually matter or getting familiar with what signatures look like. I think that's it. The learning curve is steep, but I think the value is important. Um, if that's too much, I think Splunk is really cool too, because it, you can, but it's, it's also a steep learning curve. Uh, I think every tool that's free tends to be a steep learning curve, I think, but even like the ones that aren't free. That's open source. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause the doc, <laughs> I mean, these people are, I mean, people are, are using their free time most of the time, or, um, they're not a huge company that's creating it but i feel like most of the time they're just it's just a side project so they're not making any money out of it so you get what you can in terms of documentation you might get a good samaritan or two that has gone through the process and has written something on a blog and you might find that um or you might have to be the person that does that <laughs> so i think <laughs> yeah but i think when it, for me personally when i bang my head against the wall to learn something i it sticks with me forever so I think those kinds of, they can be frustrating experiences while you're going through it, but they will be very valuable. Um, I had to actually use that at a previous job to um, highlight value in terms of what is important and, you know, what's not. And this, these are the things that if we had a managed service would be found, things like that. It helps make a case for more money. Um, if you, if there is money and they just don't want to give it to you, <laughs> then having actual data that you can present to the leadership team and say, this is the stuff that we're seeing, but we have not enough support. So we need some help or something like that. It can definitely help. Um, but that is like a really good, really robust and huge tool. And it's a really tricky to set up, but it's, I think it's a really good one. I'm going to have to look into that. I've never heard of it. So <laughs> no <that>. problem. <laughs> So in summary here, uh, you know, on a budget, cover the basics, your perimeters, the, just like traditionally on a firewall, endpoint protection, even as basic as Microsoft Home Big Defender, uh, training, knowing where your stuff is, more training through lunch and learns, segmentation, and more training on the tech basics. Uh, there's one of my favorite XKCD cartoons. If you're not familiar with XKCD, what are you even doing in tech? I mean, you've been living under a rock for a while. I mean, go and look at XKCD.com and read through the last, I don't know, two decades of cartoons he's done. Former Google engineer makes all of these great technical cartoons. But this one talks about, and it's somewhat math-based because we're all nerdy here, but he talks about how, and I won't go into the math because I suck at it, but essentially based on... Um, the birth rate in the U.S. and and uh, uh, the number of people who have heard of different things by certain times, essentially you end up with about 10,000 people per day that are hearing about things for the first time. And um, you don't necessarily want to make fun of people for not hearing about this because it's possible they just haven't had the chance. And you're one of today's lucky 10,000. So it may seem basic to you, but to them, it could be revolutionary. It could blow their mind or it could just help them stay safe. So uh, definitely, definitely work on that and, and just share, just share your knowledge. Anyway, Steph, this has been fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, we hope to have you again as a speaker soon. It was my pleasure. And thank you for everything. <laughs> You've really helped me a lot. So thank you. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. You deserve it. You're doing great work. Folks, subscribe to the podcast. We've got a lot of good, a lot of good speakers coming on, and a lot of good topics. Let us know what you want to hear about. I've been working to find as many of the greatest people out there that are in IT. So if you're one of those people, or if you want to hear about something we haven't covered yet, let me know. Continue the conversation here. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mr. J Nolan N O W L I N. Steph is also a Twitter powerhouse. I think she tweets more <laughs> than I do. That's saying something. She can be found at 
right? InfoSteph, S-T-E-P-H. Well, that's my name on there, but the actual handle is Steph and Sec. My bad. No, you're good. <laughs> I think everybody calls me info. So when I see people, they call me info stuff. So that's fine. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, it's Steph as in Stephanie and A-N-D sec as in security. Okay, great. And that's actually how we met is on Twitter. So you exactly. never know who you're going to meet. Don't hesitate to reach out and say hi to people. And uh, that's what makes this community great is we're all just in it to have a good time and to totally geek out. Exactly. All right. So uh, that's all, folks. See you next time.